Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. With more than 35 years combined industry experience, Alex Husner and Annie Holcomb have teamed up to connect the dots between inspiration and opportunity, seeking to find the one story, idea, strategy, or decision that led to their guests' big aha moment. Join them as they highlight the real stories behind the people and brands that have built vacation rentals into the $100 billion industry it is today. And now it's time to get real and have some fun with your hosts, Alex and Annie. Welcome to Alex and Annie, the real women of vacation rentals. I'm Alex. And I'm Annie. And we are so excited to be joined today by Steve Trover, CEO of Better Talent and a true industry veteran with so many awesome stories and interesting stories to tell. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So Steve, why don't you tell us about your history? What got you to this moment in your life? Yeah, certainly. So um, I'm kind of a the serial entrepreneur. started my first business when I was 17 years old, but um and back in 1997, started a vacation rental company here in Central Florida and ran that for about 20 years, had 350 properties at peak and about 100 employees on the team. Also had a management or a, I'm sorry, a development company. So we would design, spec and build purpose-built vacation homes. It was called purpose-built. And uh, we had an interior design company. So we would furnish those properties and uh, furnished about 500 homes over about a 17 year period of that company. And um, also got into the technology side of the business, um, developing a proprietary software platform for our company, which ultimately became LiveRes. And I was the chief strategy officer for that company for a while. And then got real involved with the trade associations. And for five years, I was vice president and president of URMA. So just kind of, lots of different components of the industry. Um, more recently, uh, launched Better Talent, and that we're really focused on the people side of the business today and, and helping primarily short-term rental or vacation rental companies hire people for their team. In a nutshell, how, how much have you seen the industry change since those early days? I mean, both from your perspective as an operator and a VRMA member. Well, what was interesting, 97, we started really as a marketing company, more so than a management company. And we we were essentially people's web presence, other management companies. So that's how early stage we were as far as the development of the industry. The internet was hardly a thing, right? And so, in fact, Google didn't even really exist in 1997, just to give an idea of how early that was. So, so much has changed. And, and you know, back then it went from literally classified advertising and magazine advertising all the way to everything we see today. So tectonic shifts um, in the entire industry and every component of it from operations to marketing to product. I mean, every piece of it. Early on, our biggest challenge really was just awareness. Uh, People not necessarily thinking about staying in a vacation rental as a top of mind option. And that's obviously not the the case today. So um, that's, that's gone. So that's an exciting change. And there's been just a tremendous amount of really great changes over the years. Yeah, interesting. And you touched on newspaper ads and, and traditional marketing. I know I started in con- at Condo World in 2008. And when I was brought on, our CEO, Roy, who passed away recently, he had been doing all the marketing for the company. And it, that was, you know, that's what 
they used to do back in the day. I mean, his job as, as CEO slash marketing director was literally writing newspaper ad copy. And the most involved part of it was probably, you know, picking up pictures for the brochure, which we still do a brochure, mm-hmm. but you know, there was, there was no digital components or channel management or distribution or any of the crazy things that we do these days. But it's funny when you talk to people that are new to the industry, cause it's like, that just seems like the dark ages, but it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, you know? it's kind <laughs> yeah of it sure wasn't. Yeah. I remember the days of just sitting down and going through like every, you know, winter, what was your next brochure going to look like for the yeah. following year? Mm-hmm. Like what was the cover going to be? What, you know, what, how were you going to feature different properties? And and I um, was on there, our chamber um, and kind of similar to what you're doing now, Alex. And, and we handled the visitor's guide for the market. And the visitor's guide was just the Bible to the destination. Yeah. And and again, it, it was not, nothing was digital. Everything was print. So it took six, seven months to get this all put together, to sell the ads, to get everybody's advertising and have photo shoots and do all these things. And it just seems like now we can throw it out there in the ether in, you know, same day. So it, it's definitely the industry is, has evolved. Um, Steve, I wanted to ask you, so you said you started out with um, your, uh, your management company in Orlando, and I think you had some really interesting experiences there. And I think Orlando was kind of, it, it, for me living in Florida, Orlando was like the first big market that sort of blew up. Now vacation rentals had been, I'm in Panama city beach. They had been here for a long time, you know, smaller, aspects of it, but, but, but Orlando really, really blew up kind of when you were there. And so you, maybe you could take us back to how that sort of all transpired and how your business evolved and related into that. Yeah. Orlando is a really unique market. Um, when you look at all of the markets in the sense that it was really started by the the British and um, I call it British invasion 2.0, right? So they, they came and they would buy uh, what they would call a holiday home um, in Orlando. And back in the eighties and nineties, they were buying them up in droves for a hundred thousand dollars for a house with a pool, right? Wow. Which was a, basically a broom closet in London back then. So it, it seemed like they could get something really inexpensively. They then would need a management company. And so they would identify somebody to take care of and maintain the property. And that happens so much to the tune of 20,000 plus units of inventory that were bought and put into um, short-term rentals that a lot of companies started to evolve. And a lot of the British people that owned vacation homes would come over and start a small management company because they wanted to live here. And so uh, consequently, there's probably an excess of 500 management companies in the central Florida market um, alone. So it's one of the more competitive markets as it pertains to just sheer number of companies. Mm-hmm. Um, what it makes it unique is that they don't generally sell because most of those companies are owned by people on an E2 visa, uh, which requires them to maintain that company to keep their visa status. Um, and there's no green card um, a way, uh, pathway to a green card. So um, it's a, a really strange market from that perspective. Uh, when I started and my first kind of office that I got in a commercial center, we actually had seven vacation rental companies and one commercial plaza. I had oh one two doors to my left and one two doors to my right. And so um, you want to talk about competition. It was pretty crazy in that respect. Um, that said, not very many of them um, scaled. Um, so they, a lot of them would have like 25, 35, 45 properties, that type of thing. And we did. And so we were able to do things that the other companies weren't able to do from a service perspective, from a marketing perspective and really excel. So 
but it was a it was a tough place to kind of cut your teeth, if you will. So there's so much competition there too, not just on the vacation rental side, but I mean, you're competing with the timeshares and you know the biggest ones down there and the traditional resorts and hotels. So that's Orlando is definitely one of the more complicated markets to get into, as far as as I can tell. There's 120,000 hotel rooms and more timeshare inventory than anywhere else on the planet. So yeah, the collective is, there's more lodging here than anywhere. I'd like to unpack your proprietary tech a little bit, because I think that's super interesting and how that turned into LiveRes. Did you, how did that start? I mean, did you guys start with a, a different software and then you realized the need for something that was more specific? It was even uh, more fundamental than that. We didn't have software. We, um, because again, it was so early stage um, that we really just built a website first. And we built that with a development company out of Idaho that had a a listing site. And so we developed a a CMS content management system. And then pretty quickly thereafter, right around 2000-ish, started looking at the idea of having a a booking engine. So developed an online booking engine. And from there, it was like, okay, now that we're managing properties, we need all the other components. So let's get a you know a housekeeping management component and maintenance and all the different uh, pieces. And it really was, um, we literally didn't even have a name for it. We called it admin um, because it was <laughs> yeah. just a system for us, right? Yeah, and and, right. Uh, and then one day we looked up and it was a software platform. And so um, that was launched. It was based in, in Boise, Idaho. And um still is today. It's owned by uh, uh, Inhabit IQ, obviously. But uh, but that was kind of the start of LiveRes was just us kind of building this thing, knowing that we wanted something to run the business. And back then there wasn't, nowadays, everything is a SaaS platform. Um, then there, it wasn't, it was all installed software on your computer and you paid a, a large sum of money per year to maintain that software. And um, so this was really one of, if not the first SaaS platforms, truly SaaS platforms in the vacation rental space. Wow. Um, and the reason why we went that direction was, um, really just kind of out of ignorance and not knowing any better, but also looking at the software that was out there and just not being real impressed with it at the time. So, cause we really wanted to be an internet based company and, and those software platforms just didn't allow for it. So, well, I've got to give you credit and also, um, a plug to live res. We recently did a demo and, you know, you can tell the software software that has been built with the fundamentals of being built by somebody that knows what the software is supposed to do and actual use cases of it. That's probably one of the, you know, the biggest things we notice walking around the vendor hall at, at VRMA. You know, there's a lot of great software that's out there, but it might be new and shiny, but it doesn't really answer or speak to the use cases of the operators that are using it. And not just the property managers, the reservation agents. And I think mm-hmm. that's such a different thing for you know, a lot of these startup companies, they don't have reservation agents that are answering phones. I mean, they're doing everything just uh, through email communication for Verbo and Airbnb. And, you know, our market where we are in North Myrtle Beach and same with Annie in Panama City, we're, we're in very established markets that companies have been around for, you know, 25, 35, 45 years. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, there's a different need and a different understanding. I think somewhere in the middle is, is probably where we all need to be um, in terms of having the most up-to-date tech, but that, uh, that it's also built on that still foundation of, of, you know, where the industry really finds that sweet spot. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it, it's interesting seeing the companies evolve today that are the new startups that don't have reservations agents and knowing that even though, yeah, you can definitely run without it. Um, when you run with it, you actually can convert at a higher clip and, and yeah. 
more than likely raise rev par and, and ADR because of it. So, um, and I think a lot of them push back against it because of the cost, obviously associated with those employees, but um, some people still want to talk to people on the phone, right? Yeah. So, oh yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So this, so you, you built the software and then when, I guess, when did you transition or when did the, uh, the purpose built homes come into play? Yeah. So um, Orlando, another unique thing about Orlando is most of the inventory is production homes. So big box um, home builders like Lennar, Pulte and, and such build communities here. And, and there's actually um, zoning allowing for it. And so there's short-term rental communities. The whole community is a, the development is a vacation rental community. And what was great, that, that, that was the great part, right? Because you didn't have some of the challenges you have where you have it intermingled and with uh, residential homes and there were resort communities and whatnot. But the, but the challenge we were having is we wanted bigger homes. And, and so we wanted, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 bedroom homes. And so the, the big box um, retail shops would build that for us, but they would just add bedrooms. And so what you had consequently was a four bedroom floor plan that now is a seven bedroom but still has the same dining and living space. And it really wasn't optimized at all. And so we could only get them to stretch so far in, inside their envelope, if you will, from a building perspective. And so right around the time that no one was building anything in 2009, uh, we built the first purpose-built vacation home. And so we hired architectural, we designed it from the ground up using an R&D process. And so we looked at all of our data from post-day surveys. Um, we actually did focus groups with guests. We did internal focus groups with our uh, operations team to really design the product uh, from the ground up, specifically focused on being a vacation model. And obviously this is done in other markets and, and whatnot, but in, in most cases, in fact, I don't, I've never really saw prior to that, anybody really doing a full like R&D process. And if you think about most products, there's an R&D process, but in vacation models, we take generally speaking, residential homes and kind of convert that into a vacation rental. And so it's not optimal. And so that was the, the kind of the premise behind purpose built. But then we took it a step further and went in, you know, and, and had been doing interior design for some time. So we really um, hired draftsmen on staff. So we had a draftsman, we had an architect and we would design them ourselves. And then um, we, we uh, continued to build those uh, in a resort called reunion here. We built a 25 from, probably about 1.2 to $3 million homes. They're very fairly high end, especially for this market, um, homes from seven bedroom to 14 bedroom in size. So there were big multi-generational travelers, home theater, game room. You know, we had all these core attributes that we would pull in and um, they just performed exceptionally well. Um, they were really designed for that purpose as well, just to drive as much revenue as possible for the investor. And so, Unlike a lot of homes where they're kind of an offset of the expense, we really wanted these to be high performance from a from a cap rate perspective, like you would, you know, and, and with the intent of ultimately creating a new asset class. And we're starting to see that happen. So, and we held the purpose built um, uh, vacation homes trademark for a lot of years, and now I hear people using that term all the time. So it's kind of cool um, yeah. hearing that out in the industry. So. That's really fascinating. And so do you, did you see, so 
it, people are using that name. Do you think, are they using that same premise and model to build those homes or do you think they're just using the name? And I, I think the intention is there. And I think some are doing it better than others and, and perhaps some are doing it better than we did. Right. Cause everything yeah. kind of evolves. So, um, but you know, I, I think that when they say that they mean it is specifically designed, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just taking an existing home or, 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 floor plan type. And, you know, one of the things that we noticed the biggest was how much floor plans matter and they really do. And having, you know, a bathroom for every bedroom and, you know, enough uh, seating area in the dining room for everybody to sit down at the table and just seemingly small things like that. Um, things like you don't need big walk-in closets in a vacation rental for sure. obvious reasons, but you so, so often see it. So we would optimize the footprint um, to drive the, the best return possible. But so I see some of that happening and I know, you know, there's specific individuals and we even, um, we do do some consulting on that today with some of our clients. And so I, I, I do see some groups that are doing a really good job at it. So, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. And again, Orlando is just a, it's an amazing market. I have a couple of partners, um, in the, in the Orlando market and, and obviously COVID just decimated Orlando. It, it's just, and it's still, Still trying to recover, but I think now that the borders are open, they'll start to see a better, you know, a better growth rate like the rest of the vacation rental world. Yeah. I mean, Florida as a whole has done really well through COVID, but Orlando struggled because obviously the theme parks were are the driver here. So that's the the kind of the the thing that drives uh, visitation and they were restricting and still to some degree um restrict visitation as far as the numbers. We're not full capacity as of yet, but um, I've talked to several people in the market and they're doing really well now. So, yeah. but it did take longer, um, you know, Hawaii and Orlando probably got hit the worst relative to everybody else. Yeah. And as a destination that relies so heavily on tourism, you know, that's, we're constantly in our area trying to diversify our economy for that reason. There's just, there's a lot of challenges when you're really focused on one entity like that and a lot of great things and a lot of growth and, you know, very strong economy, but at the same time, COVID definitely flipped everybody, <laughs> the switch on everybody to show right. how dangerous that can be, but it can be difficult to diversify a very, you know, tourist driven economy because it's just, you know, the area just doesn't cater to outside companies that would, you know, make business home there. What happened next? Now, I know at some point you started going into other uh, markets, but did you also, how, how did the recession hurt the business? Was that a, an issue? Yeah, it really, amazingly, it was not. Um, you know, we did have a real estate company and like everybody else, um, real estate certainly slowed down, but that's when we shifted to more purpose-built with investors. And and so we were selling a lot of real estate from that perspective, <laughs> that, you know, the real estate that we we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, so that wasn't too big of a challenge. 2009 was a slightly soft year for us, but relative to my builder and, and real estate focused friends, we, we did quite well because a lot of them went out of business, obviously, when everything cratered like it did. But 10, 2010 on were record years. So 10, 11, 12. I mean, we just crushed it through the recession because, um, you know, and I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Peter Yesowich, but he, um, he, USA Today will bring him in to talk about travel as an example. But uh, he always said that Americans consider travel a birthright, uh, no matter what's happening in the economy we'll still go. We might put it on a credit card. Um, we might change yeah. our, you know, the type of trip that we take. And that's what we saw through the recession. So 
um, is that travel still happened and people still went to Disney World and and all of that. Well, simultaneous to all that, we were going into other markets. So we went into Captiva Island, Florida, um, just because so many of our guests would come year after year. And then the kids would get to a certain age where they didn't want to come to Disney anymore. anymore. So we started asking them where, where they wanted to go. And they want to go to the beach, obviously. And so we picked Captiva because it was kind of a high-end vacation rental island. And then we um, ended up acquiring a company out in uh, Southern California and the San Diego market. So we were there as well. And then we started uh, picking up some homes in the Sun Valley market in Idaho as well. So we were in four different markets and, uh, you know, it was, uh, we stretched quite a bit to be able to do that. Um, California was a big stretch, obviously, just from a logistics perspective. We were centralizing like a lot do um, kind of reservations, marketing, accounting, some components of guest services. So most of our uh, boots on the ground in those locations are just housekeeping and maintenance related um, activities. So after that, I believe one of the things that you were telling us about was you had a big vision for what you thought could be in the market, how that came to be and then didn't come to be. Um, Could you share that with us? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, we, we, like I said, we were building a number of homes and we really looked at those homes as kind of our MVP, right? We were trying to develop out a product and the intent was to create a new asset class where investors, institutional investors would invest in vacation rentals as opposed to individuals so that we could scale. And um, we put together a private equity fund. We did one deal where we bought some land from, from Disney. Um, and unfortunately the contractor and the, and the land partner got into a legal fight and that didn't work out. Um, then we went into contract on another parcel and simultaneous to, to all of this, I had been bringing Disney out and meeting with Disney executives um, to kind of look at what we were doing. Cause I always wanted them to build on Disney property. Right. And so um, we were uh, developing out a, a big parcel. It was 210 acres on the West side of Disney and Disney came to us and said, Hey, we're interested in doing this now. And um, I went to our investors, let them know about it. And then Disney six months later changed their mind. And so um, I was so excited to, to let everybody know about it in the investment group. They were kind of focused on that. And so we ended up not doing the, the big project that we were going to do. Um, and because of that, I ended up having to sell the companies. And so I sold all four groups uh, you know, of the companies, the management company and development company, real estate company, and the interior design company. Um, had that, um, had a new partner in there for about a year and then they departed and I actually had to wind down those companies and sell off all the inventory. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was a lesson learned in the sense that um, I, I, I got really, really aggressive um, in, in growth. And so now when I talk to a lot of people I consult with, we, we kind of stage the growth and are more careful. And I try to help educate them on kind of the potholes, if you will, yeah. in business that I, that I saw, but we, um, we did some really great things. I'm proud of what we were able to accomplish. And uh, I use it today to help others. It was um, unfortunately that ending came down the way that it did, but at the same time, it was companies like yours that got the industry to where we are now. So, you know, that experience that you learned then is now what's helping new companies be able to grow and, and like you said, learn from those mistakes. But it's it's, ama- it's an amazing story. Annie and I, when we started this podcast, that was one thing that we wanted to make sure we had a, 
an emphasis on was that we don't just want to tell the stories about what worked. We want to tell mm-hmm. the stories of what didn't work because right now, especially, you know, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I mean, the, the current M&A and investment environment in vacation rentals is just so outrageous. And I don't think anybody ever thought it would get to this point that it is, but, you know, there is a bubble and, and there is a is certainly, you know, at some point you have to be profitable. And, you know, like you said, cash is king. And if you don't have it, the, the king has lost the throne. So right. it's, I think it's important to tell those stories. I, I really think it is. And I think we can learn a lot. And we, you know, Annie and I respect you so much for being open to tell that story, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of hard heartache and distress uh, among you and your family and staff. And I know you worked, you did everything possible to keep that going for as long as you could. So we, we appreciate you being open to tell the story. No, absolutely. No, I, I, I look at failure as, you know, fail forward. Right. And right. so yeah. I'm sure there was heartache, there was challenges um, that come up, came out of it, but you learn along the way and you take that and move forward and try to you know, do better yourself, but also help others. And that's, that's always been, you know, our focus and our company, we used to invite companies from all over the country to tour with us. And we, I, I called it cross consulting because I would learn from them and they, they yeah. would learn from us. And, and I, I really enjoyed that. And so we still do some of those things today, um, armed with the knowledge of what we did well and what we didn't do so well. Right. And so, yeah. um, everybody fails. Not everybody likes to talk about it, but you know, we <laughs> well, all, and it's, it's we all not, challenges. it's so. not as easy as it seems. I mean, you know, going from one destination to the, to another condo world has expanded through partnerships in other areas, but even doing that, you know, it, it is, it has not been an easy journey and we're still on that path to get further outside of, mm-hmm. you know, our region in this area, but you know, it's, it's, it, there's definitely a lot of complexities and it can seem like it's easier than it is because of technology, but you get into certain markets and it's like the, the dynamics are just, they can really work against you if you're not from there, if you don't have the connections that are there to lead you down the right path, to meet the right people, to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not as easy as, as it seems. And I think people look at like Vacasa and some of these bigger organizations that they're just popping up new locations everywhere, but the way they're operating is not the way that, you know, your business or our businesses could operate on a, you know, trying to grow scale basis. So it's a different, different ball game, you could say. Yeah. I I mean, when we went to Captiva, for example, you know, we were so dominant in, in Orlando that we kind of felt like we could just roll into town and, you know, throw our shingle up and, yeah. and really grow fast. And that wasn't the case. It was a challenge. Um, yeah. It was a tight market. And um, so we learned through that when we went to San Diego, completely different market, very different market dynamics. Um, and, the, you know, the product and getting the product was different than how we were doing in Orlando. So, yeah, I mean, each one of the markets have unique challenges and you have to understand it and, and really learn those challenges and, and for these um, aggregators, if you will, so the Vacasas of the world, um, them being obviously the 800 pound gorilla, it's going to be a challenge. Um, and it already is. And we're seeing it, you know, um, I, I hope, quite frankly, I hope they figure it out. And why I say that is I, I feel like there's a place for those players, um, just like there is in the restaurant business, local restaurants that we all love to to go and find that local restaurant. But sometimes you just go to a chain because you know what to expect. And and I think we're going to see that in our industry over time as this thing evolves. And whether Vacasa is super successful or another player is or multiple are, I don't think that will necessarily be a bad thing. I think everybody um, is concerned about them. 
I, I, if I was still an operator today, I would not be concerned about what they are doing uh, because I would just be the best local restaurant, if you will, um, in that market. And um, so that, that would be my focus is have that local flavor really show that, you know, the market better than anybody else. And I think you'll do really well in those markets. So I, but I do think it's important that, you know, even though we've had fails, failures in the past, I mean, resort quest obviously didn't do all as well as um, they had hoped. And, and um, I think Vacasa, I think it's important them and others start to become successful and at least providing a baseline uh, of guest services and owner services um, that is good for the industry overall, because, you know, again, bad experiences are the worst thing that happens to our industry, no matter who provides that experience. Because if you come and you stay in a vacation rental for the first time and you hate it, you may just say, you know what, I'm just going to go back to hotels. And so I've always felt that it was really important that all the operators, large and small, do a good job so that this industry can continue to evolve and excel. And I think that the good thing, again, to your point about the vacasas of the world is that, you know, people were hesitant about them coming into market and they kind of rolled into, I know they rolled it into the panhandle with, you know, again, we're the big Vacasa, we're going to take mm-hmm. over, we're going to do all this. But I think what it it made people do was take a hard look at their, how they were operating their businesses and maybe what their marketing prowess was within the market. And it wasn't as good as they thought it was. So it made everybody step up their game. So it sets a baseline for everybody to kind of operate from that is good. And mm-hmm. for that, we do need them to be successful so that it's not a black mark on the industry because we, let's, face it going to the you know the point of all the MA and the money that's in it we're we're under a very big spotlight right now and it's ours to make or break and if we yep. can unite and have good messaging and and professionalism within the industry i know that's a hot topic for everybody it's it's important for us to to root them on and i think that kind of uh, dovetails or, or spills over into uh you were head of verma the vrma the vacation rental management association the president and vice president for a couple of years and very active and engaged in trying to move the industry forward. And so I think you've got a really interesting story. And it was one I didn't know much about was the the switch program um, that you worked on. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, right about the time I, I joined the VRMA uh, on the board, uh, we it was very clear that there was a threat to the industry. And that threat was, you know, aggregators, distri- you know, at that point, Airbnb wasn't even really a big player. It was uh, HomeAway, and HomeAway had just rolled up all of my favorite listing sites, Cyber Rentals, Great Rentals, at all, and we were concerned about it because we we thought that they would do what they frankly did, and that is ma- make it to where you almost have to list with them, depending on the market. That is the case today, right? And so, um, my biggest concern was not just that you'd have to list with them or how much it was going to cost it was the brand of the individual um, local management companies. And I got the opportunity to go to Focus Right years ago and Choice Hotels had just pulled their inventory off of Expedia. And so there was this big fight and they did that because Expedia was wanting last room availability. They were, you know, kind of um, charging a, a pretty high margin as 25%. And Choice Hotels has said, you know what, we're gonna pull all our inventory. Well, Expedia had so much power that um, there was a basically a hotel owner revolt, and um, you know they were really upset because you know revenue went way down, and the CEO had to put the inventory back on Expedia, 
And I saw this happen and I went, oh my gosh, if that can happen to Choice Hotels, what's, what are they going to do to my company or any of the other members of the VRMA? Um, and when this becomes a significant thing. And so we saw HomeAway as becoming uh, the Expedia of the vacation rental industry. Well, ironically, they literally are Expedia today. Yeah. So Funny uh, how that happens, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're like, we used to say that they're going to be like, come just like Expedia. And then they are Expedia. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, and not that I see, I view necessarily, you know, OTAs is a bad thing either, but the big concern was again, the stripping of the brand, um, you know, rate parity, all the things that, you know, we know are ultimately going to happen. Some of which already have. Um, and so we set out, um, on this project with the BRMA to build what we called the vacation rental switch. And we put out an RFP and we invited technology uh, companies to, um, submit to that RFP a proposal to build this thing that was essentially like the MLSs in the real estate industry so that all of the PMS platforms would connect to it and distribution would happen through that central switch, um, which exists in some respects in the, you know, rental cars, airlines, hotels, and so on. And we ended up picking a company called Pegasus. Pegasus actually powers a significant portion of, of travel, um, and other sectors um, like the ones I just mentioned. And so, um, and the idea was we would put some rules in place, right? So if you wanted the inventory that came through it, you would um, have the brand of that particular company front and center right alongside of the property. Um, there was, you know, different things as far as terms and conditions, and then the way things were described and so on and so forth. And it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't at all to try and control, you know, the whole industry or anything like that. It was really to protect our members and protect um, industry players on the, on the PM side from some of these things happening. And so um, it was a five year long stretch. Um, I was vice president for three years and president for two um, that we put, put a ton of work into traveled all over the country, met with all the PMS platforms at the time. Um, during that time, HomeAway ended up buying Instant Software and Escapia, which um, made it really challenging. They didn't like the switch uh, too much uh, for obvious reasons. So from a competitive threat perspective, I think that probably helped push them to do that. And so that became a challenge. And then Pegasus ended up um, replacing their executive team. And the new CEO called me one day and said, we're not going to build it. And uh, essentially, we're just not. And so we, that ended up killing the project, sadly. Um, but I think the effort was good and the intentions were good. We did get HomeAway, for example, and then um, Airbnb to agree to you know, put the brand next to the, the property. And so we were able to do some of those things that were uh, positives, I think, and, and maybe prolong the concerns that, that we had um, to some degree. But uh, we're seeing them you know, what we were concerned about happened. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, without a question. So, and I, and I know Annie used to work for Expedia so probably at that time when we were doing it, so. Yeah. So it's funny. Cause, um, when I was at Expedia, I had come from the management side of things. So I was in, I was in the vacational management and the one thing that I told them was that there's, you know, I always joked that I had this list of 200 plus things that you don't know about vacation rentals. Mm. And so the, the director that hired me at the time, um, after about a year, she said to me, well, how are we doing? And I'm like, well, we're down to about 150 things you still don't know about vacation rentals. And I had the really good fortune to be kind of in, in, in conversations internally about vacation rentals. And I remember being on a call with Dara when he was president um, at Expedia. 
And he was, they were saying, well, tell us about HomeAway. What is this VRBO company? What, you know, what do they do? And I'm like, how could you not know? Like it was just something so tone deaf about the industry, but that, you know, education within Expedia, there was still a lot of that had to go on, but having come from the the rental side of things, we were very much a proponent of having our name, our brand within our listings. And so we fought with Expedia about that because they said, no, you can only list the name of the building. Well, the problem for me was as a management company, I was in a building that had 15 different management groups. I needed to be able to stand out. So that was something that I think Expedia finally adopted. And I think you were doing the same thing. And so fast forward, you know, in what, 2015, they bought home away. And I remember my internal messaging going crazy that day when they announced it. And they're like, did you know that this was happening? I was like, yeah, Dara and Barry Diller had me up for dinner and asked my opinion. I was like, of course I didn't know, you know, this is the greatest thing ever, but it's, it's just amazing how you could go from not understanding anything about the industry to buying the biggest part of the industry. That was, again, it was a, it was a difficult thing for management groups because it had decimated management you know, portfolios because owners were going direct to the, you know, the VRBO mm-hmm. listings and things like that. But it was the, it was the, you know, the, the enemy that you had to keep close, you know, you just had to be involved with it. So I applaud that. And I, like I said, I just had no idea about the switch, but again, I was at Expedia. So I probably would have been blinded to whatever was going on right. with that. <laughs> so. yeah, understandably. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was such an unbelievable time. And I actually, I do remember that time. That's right about when I got into vacation rentals and started working at Condo World. And the reason I was hired at Condo World was actually for a similar reason as the switch, but it was more, um, our, our owner was more concerned about rent by owners becoming a, a major um, threat for the industry. And not just for our company here, but he saw it as his uh, the kind of moral obligation that he was like, we've got to save vacation rentals, the professionally managed side. And so we put together a website that specifically spoke to you know, why you would rent from a professionally managed company. But you know that when we heard about the switch, I'll never forget the first uh, VRMA conference I went to was hosted in Myrtle Beach and we heard about it. And him and I looked at each other and we're like, hmm, this sounds like the same premise of where we're going with things. And you know, the branding part of it totally hit home with us. And then, you know, as we started kind of watching how this went, I mean, Steve, you, you guys were back then, you were a visionary in my mind <laughs> for what you saw as eventually becoming the problem. Because when you think about it, you know, and Annie, you work in channel management. So this is, you know, there's a lot of ways we can unpack this, but there, there still ha- there still is no one centralized distribution way for vacation rentals. And that is a major problem. And probably one of the biggest issues we all face is, API connectivity. I mean, everybody is at a point where everybody wants to work together. The closed systems, for the most part, have gone away or are going away. But, you know, connecting the dots there is still a major problem for a lot of companies. So, you know, I think you guys saw the writing on the wall there from a, from a brand perspective, from a rent by owner perspective and being able to control the inventory and, you know, to be able to sell the product. You know, when you look at properties that are I I think the switch obviously must have had some operators on there that were true condo type operators, because Annie, like you said, in in Panama City, same way as in Myrtle Beach, there can be 15 managers in one building. And, you know, you can't just put the name of the building on there. I mean, it is super important to have the brand of the company. And ultimately, that was part of how uh, OPMA, which is On-Site Property Managers Association, was formed. Um, That's where Annie and I first met was through that group. 
And, you know, for that, for that same reason that, you know, just because you're the onsite resort, but an individual owner at that property is not guaranteed to offer the same level of accommodations as booking right. through, you know, the onsite. So mm-hmm. the, the same issues are still prevailing, but it's just, it's really interesting to hear that you, you, you and your team at that point on Verma saw that coming, tried your best to make it happen. Unfortunately, it didn't. But um, and and same with your other company. I mean, you were a visionary too on the, um, you know, the purpose built homes and where that went. And I think if you had done that now, it would probably be a different outcome, right? So it's it's interesting to, um, to look back on the, on that that decade of change within the industry because it's, you know, they, like I said, I, I, those things had to happen to get all of us to where we are now, I think. Uh, Amy Hynod always jokes that she's, I'm just going to watch what you're doing now and doing like 10 years. And yeah. Then I'll <laughs> well, yeah, that's, watch uh, you that's, fail, then I'll do it. Yeah. Oh no. That, that's, that's a great next question actually too. So what would be your, I mean, where, where do you see the future of the industry in 10 years and, and what's an idea that you want to do right now that we should wait and do in 10 years? <laughs> I'm not telling anybody. Oh, darn it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I mean, well, and obviously, you know where I, I've landed. And so, you know, I worked on the product side, worked on the distribution side, worked on the tech side, um, you know, all of those management. And what I realized more recently is I looked at it and I said, okay, done all these different things. Should I just leave the industry altogether? No, I love it. And I love the people. And, you know, so uh, stuck it out from that perspective, um, but also said, what is the biggest problem for our industry? Is it, you know, distribution? Is it tech? Is it those things? And those are all super important, right? But if you think about if you had the best technology and you had the best properties in the market, but you didn't have the best team, you're still not going to win. So uh, that's why what led me to really focus on what we're focusing on now, which is helping people find the right people for the right seats. And so and I'd done a number of, you know, worked really hard, like we all do, to try and figure that piece out in my businesses. And so today, that's all we do. And so um, just really trying to address the piece that I hadn't really dove into other than just hiring for my own companies. And so we're excited about um, getting better and better at that every single day and helping the industry in that regard. Um, so it's, it's definitely needed. And, you know, we were just on a call earlier with Simon Lehman. He's got a great line about it, that before capital comes human capital. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you would agree with that. And, you know, Absolutely. we touched on it earlier too, that a lot of these newer companies, they don't see necessarily the need or they can't justify the cost of having reservation agents and this and that when they think that it can all just rely on the technology. And you know, technology helps 100% and it does allow you to operate on a more lean basis. But at the same time, you know, the people that are behind the brand and driving the car are ultimately the reason for your success. Unequivocally and until, you know, robot... Um cleaners and robot maintenance people show up, we're going to have people, um, you know, yes, we theoretically can operate leaner because of tech today. And a lot of these, especially the new startups do, but this industry will always have people in it. Uh, you know, it just will. And so, uh, when I look at the market leaders in any market anywhere in the world in this industry, and I look at that, the makeup of that company, it's really not the tech stack that gets them to be the leader. It's the people every mm-hmm. single time. And the best companies in the best markets or in the market 
it has the best team almost always, right? It's not just because the, the leader was a great visionary, you know, certainly that matters, right? But that leader needs to be a great leader and they yeah. need to be somebody who leads a great team of people to success. And so uh, that's that's why we've chosen to focus on this today. And and I love it. It's, it's, um, right. it's probably my favorite thing that I've done in the industry by far. So. That's awesome. That's so great to see that you've moved into this new role and it sounds like your, your team is doing great stuff. So that's very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank so, you. Well, we're um, in an early stage, but we're going to keep running on it. So yeah. That's <laughs> so I, we, we like to wrap up with a couple of questions. Um, but I think that we kind of probably could answer some of the questions that we have about your passion and where that lies. And um, so I, I wanted to kind of ask you with all of the things that you have been through, what inspires you the most to keep going? And, and, and again, it, it, you know, it, I think I know the answer to this, but it, you know, what, what keeps you involved in this industry? You know, <clears throat> I, I ask myself that, you know, I, I try to be super objective. And, and like I said earlier, I, I even thought at one point, so I just go find another industry. And I, I tell this story. I, I was once at a, a vacation rental conference and um, I have ADHD, like, really bad, like not even joking. Um, and so I, I, I was wandering around and I, I went and I go, Oh, it's lunchtime. And I get in the lunch line, you know, and I start dishing my plate up and I'm about two thirds of the way down the line. And I look up and I realize I'm not at the right conference. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was a big, you know, resort hotel or a conference right. hotel and multiple <laughs> conferences and I'm at the wrong one. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, Oh, well, forget it. I'm just going to, you know, I've already dished my plate. So I literally go sit down next to these people. And I don't even remember what industry it was, but I remember thinking these people are boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what, what keeps me passionate about this industry is the industry. It's the people it's, it's how passionate the people in this industry are about this industry. That's what keeps me going. So do I love um, vacation rentals? Heck yeah. I've stayed in hundreds of them with, I have four kids. We can't stay in a hotel. Right. So, right. you know, the product definitely, uh, it, I love it. I think it's great. I think what it does for families and for friends and connectivity and all that, I, I, I'm passionate about that as well. But what keeps me in this industry is that this industry is really exciting. Um, there's really great people that are super passionate about it. And probably the other thing I would say to that is I still look at it as a big, uh, whiteboard. So even though I said, you know, we used to do classified advertising and look at all, all that's evolved. I think we're still early stage. We're still making stuff up every oh, day in this industry. Yeah. And there's so many problems to solve. And, you know, that's what I like to do is, is come, you know, look for the biggest problem and go try to solve it. Right. So, I like that challenge and this industry is full of challenges. So well, you're, you're definitely somebody whose heart is connected to it. And I think that makes inherently a, a big difference than somebody that's just coming into it because they just see a investment opportunity or a money opportunity. I mean, you've, you've been there for the highs and the lows and, you know, in our industry, obviously the, the connection just between all of us as industry professionals is really strong. You know, I, I don't know that this is replicated in all other types of industries. In fact, I know it's not. And that's something that we're we're lucky to all have together. And and I mean, the three of us met in person at VRMA just recently, and that was you know wonderful to connect, and which led to the podcast today. So we appreciate you, Steve, and everything that you do, and um, truly 
just, it was wonderful to have you on with us today as one of our very first guests. <laughs> it's an absolute honor to be one of your first guests. And I know you guys are going to crush it. And um, I'm just excited to watch that be the case. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. And if people are interested in talking with Steve Trover, the man, um, and, and working with Better Talent, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, um, bettertalent.com is uh, the website. Steve at bettertalent.com is my email address. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, obviously. So any of those ways are great. How long have you had that URL? That's a great domain. Um, only um, a couple of years now. Yeah. Wow, guys, you would have thought that somebody would have scooped that up. Like, Oh, yeah, they did. I paid for it. Ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying. It was, not, it was not cheap. <laughs> so. I mean, that sounds, that sounds like a major recruiter type of website. Yeah. But yeah, you've got a great brand. So you definitely have some really strong legs to stand on in this venture. But thank you so much again, Steve. And if anybody wants to connect with Annie and I, you can go to alexandanniepodcast.com and follow us on there from LinkedIn, social media or send us an email. Everything is accessible from the website. So thank you for tuning in. And until the next time, we will chat with you soon. Thanks, everybody.